0: I can't go on. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Wharton. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on April the 22nd, 2011. Newcomers, I always suggest that you look into the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com and help yourself to the audios. There's hundreds to choose from where I try to show you shortcuts to, or give you shortcuts at least to the big picture of the system which runs this world that you're born into. And it shows you how you accept so much, which has already been planned for you socially, culturally, and even behavior modification, which is all planned out long even before you were born, how they bring generations from one step to the next step to the next step to the present debased step we have today. And we really are truly debased, and we don't know it, of course, most of them. But uh, I show you how it's done. The big organizations involved, academia, uh, the funding uh, for academia from government and from big foundations, all interlocked together in a global system for a planned society. And we're all products of it, really. And, of course, with the electronic age we're in today, uh, we're all under massive surveillance. Every single one of us, doesn't matter if you're quite uh, um, average and you don't get involved in anything at all, uh, you're of vital importance to those who want to have everyone predictable. as it's all about, predicting how you will behave in any situation, where you are at all times and what you're chatting about. And, of course, if you're chatting about what the media gives you to chat about, you're generally pretty well safe. And... Remember too, when you go in for, to that site, there's transcripts too. You'll find uh, com in English. of have a lot of the talks for print up, and you, you take your pick from those. And go into Alan and you'll find a bunch of transcripts too in other languages to choose from for print up as well. Pass them around to your friends. And remember too, your audience is bring me to you, so you can help me just trickle along here by buying the books and discs I have for sale. And you'll find how to do it at Uh There's a, a price list there, and you can order. Remember, from the US to Canada with a personal check or an international postal money order from your post office. You can also use cash, and you can also use PayPal. If you want to order through PayPal, send the just use the donation button and then follow it with an email with name, address, and order, and I'll get it right out to you. Cross the rest of the world, same idea. You've got Western Union, MoneyGram, and PayPal to order using the donation button. And also, to remember, straight donations are certainly, absolutely, certainly appreciated because uh, money is in short supply, as you all out there, I'm sure, know, too, as, as inflation really goes up and up and up, and have a whole bunch of new taxes to come in, too, with carbon taxes and so on coming shortly. So, as I say, if you want to hear this stuff, you can help me to keep it going. Because I, I don't just uh, give you scattergun or shotgun news, which leaves you quivering uh, with a with hundred topics of them all coming to get you from different directions at once. I try to stay a bit focused when I can and just show you what's really important. Even, not, not even so important, I show you the techniques of control, including what the media gives you to terrify you, because we're, we're really kept on our toes by fear and uncertainty, and that's what the media is about uh, They're part, of course, the, of the control mechanism for government, and government depends on media, and media is an essential arm of government, and it's an essential arm of the big system which rules over government, and that is not by any people, it's definitely not by the electorate, it's by the, the military industrial boys, the banking boys all tied together, a big conglomerate of fat-cheeked uh, chubby guys who all go to the same types of schools, you all know each other. I can remember Thatcher talking about um, subsidizing private schools, the big ones, the really big ones, the Ivy League ones. And she said that's where our future leaders come from, not from the red brick ones. And therefore we're going to subsidize them because these guys are the future leaders and they must know and meet their own generation and bond with them at school. So that's why we subsidize them. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, we're back, cutting through the matrix, and we're going into a system now of austerity, as they call it. Austerity, which means it was a long, long plan in the making, of course, to bring us down to almost a third world country and give some of the third world countries your cash, and that's what called the redistribution of wealth, which Karl Marx talked about in the 1800s. This is the same system on the go. Marx was backed up by the same banking boys and so on. They, they always knew where they were going to take the 20th and then 21st century, and I have no doubt beyond that too. And so you're going into a system where you're, the, the cash that was your superfluous cash, the cash you spend on little goodies to please yourself, all the rewards for working all month or every week or whatever, you'd spend it instead on fees and taxes and beer essentials. That's a system they're coming into because they, they call it the post-consumerist system where we won't have all these junky toys from China that keep breaking anyway. That's why I keep replacing them, obviously. And you won't have that at all. You'll have to make do with what you've got, get lots of superglue and stuff like that. And um, you, you'll eat very modestly. In fact, your, your food choices will definitely be limited because they're going to bring in a vegetarian society where you're stuck with Monsanto and other boys' GM uh, food, uh, lashed and soaked with pesticides to make sure that the population comes down at the right speed and equally, like equality in that case, and the masses in a way will be equally distributed with all the cancers, as it already is already, in fact. But what I try to show you in this talk and the broadcast is how things really are planned so far far ahead and how you're played at the time, so it's something new by the media, and that means they're really doing their job. That's what they're there for. They're not there to to bring you up-to-the-minute reality, they're up, to, they're, they're there to bring you up to the minute, um, non-reality or spin or however they want to leave it uh, with you. You will get the proper impression from the experts in the media and that will become your opinion. But here's an, a little article as an example here and it's from CBC. It's a communist broadcasting corporation owned by the government of Canada. And, um, it says here, analysis should have, uh, should Canada have a cap and trade system? No, the very, name itself, you see, is meant to throw the public off. When they see something like that they won't read any further. Without little pictures and stuff like that to, to get or cartoons. So something they can follow easily quickly. But to read something like this is it, it sounds silly and complicated, which of course it is. But um, it says at the beginning of the story it says three or four parties in the House of Commons, that's like their Congress here, supports introducing a cap and trade system to control carbon emissions. Uh, But very few Canadians understand how such a system would work, and some provincial leaders think it's just an excuse for the federal government to tax their energy industries. Well, as you go further than that, so you go down to personal taxation levels, and I've already gone through some of that on previous talks. In its simplest form, cap-and-trade is a market-based system where the government puts a cap on the total amount of pollution industries allowed to emit. Each company would receive permits for how much pollution it could produce, If a company produced less than its limit, it could sell or trade permits to other companies that have gone over their limit. It says, cap-and-trade is not an untested nor unsuccessful system of reducing emissions. The United States introduced the cap-and-trade system as part of the Clean Air Act amendments of 1990. It aimed to control industrial emissions that cause acid rain. That's all gone now. Now it's just raining down uh, plutonium and cesium. According to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, the acid rain program introduces an allowance trading system that harnesses the incentives of the free market to reduce pollution. All they do is trade... This, this carbon, this, this bogus carbon, there's nothingness amongst each other, this is what they do. And you can buy other people's carbon credits and add to your own and all the rest of it, and they've gotten price and then you can sell them. This is according to the Pacific Research Institute, an American free market think tank, it's actually attached to the CFR, uh, uh, acid rain levels in the US have dropped by 65% since 1976. Actually, it was long before that, if it ever existed at all. But anyway, it's coming down to a personal level, and this is one of the methods they're going to plunder you again and uh, and again, as to be an alternative uh, on the stock market to actual tangible goods. Uh, Rothschild himself said that, by the way. And I've also mentioned, too, that Rothschild uh, put the bill forward in Britain as well. Uh, that uh, for it all to go for the world's carbon trading to go through not just al gore's bunch bunch in chicago but also to go through his main bank in switzerland the family bank and so that's a lot of cash to be going through there and gathering interest as they hold it for weeks or months or whatever and then pass it on to the lesser banks beneath them no doubt that they're you know minor relatives and stuff anyway uh, that's from this here. But it shows you three of the parties, three of the, these uh, houses, parties you only vote for, are all on board with the same agenda. The fourth one will be two, I can guarantee you. So they're all on board with it. Everyone's pre-selected that's put in front of you. They know the faces that are put in front of you. Politburo, one, two, three, or four, take your pick, because that's really how it is today. And it's been like that for an awful long time, in fact. Everyone at the top is a member of what used to be called... The Canadian Institute for International Affairs and now it's just the the CIC they call it, changed the name in about 2007 because I was talking about it too much on the radio anyway uh, there's another article here to do with this, now Chicago I'll put up tonight two links to that last article and to uh, people who have got holdings in the Chicago uh, carbon uh, scam business the Board of Directors for Climate Change Al Gore and all these guys And you see all the big companies are on board with it. Now, when you see all the big, big top companies uh, on board with this, then you know it's going to be an awfully profitable uh, market for these guys to share all these nothings uh, and to buy these nothings and sell them for, for big bucks out of nothing. I mean, it's just beautiful. It's better than even the scam to do with money. It's wonderful, because you can, you can stretch your imagination uh, as far as the horizon and just catch as much carbon as you want, whatever number comes in your head. Make a figure and buy or sell it. That's really what it's all coming down to. So I'll put this list up for you all to see the founder, the chairman, and all the big corporations that are part of this, that uh, claim they're not going to make any money on it, even though they've already made millions and billions in Europe, because the European Common Market, the new Soviet gave out billions of free ones to the corporations to get them started, but it's to get passed down to the people at the bottom, the people who finally purchase things, and they're going to tack it all into your personal purchasing. You are going to get personal taxation shortly on carbon and what they call energy consumption. And here too, uh, this article here is from SA Country Hour, it's called says uh, bank accepts carbon credits as currency by michael condon Uh, merchant bank rothschild australia have set up a joint venture that is aiming to begin trading in carbon credits rothschilds have made the mood on the assumption that the kyoto protocol will be ratified next year and this is back in 2002 for all you guys who didn't know that This is how long they've been at this, long before agreements were signed and before the public were getting the whiff of carbon and all the rest of it, that they were already setting this up. So it must be, it will go ahead, and old Rothschild certainly knows it because, after all, he pulls the strings and he puts most politicians into Parliament. Anyway, it says here, the scheme has been welcomed by the Agricultural sector for the Environment and Economic spin-offs that may be open to farmers in the future and selling credits. And I've already given you links in the past of farmers who can't use their land anymore because they're using them as carbon sinks, supposedly. The government has decided to use them as carbon sinks so they can't touch their land at all. Rothschild Australia is setting up a managed investment scheme that aims to buy and sell carbon credits to multinational companies to offset the company's greenhouse gas emissions utter rubbish. Uh, Rothschild's Simon Games Thomas says the scheme is more about learning how to legally sell this new type of commodity rather than turning a profit what a liar what an utter liar I mean it's just bogus I mean if you want to make a, a sack of gas just make it as big as you want because it's anybody's guess that's all it is absolute ah oh, what a con beautiful con I must admit. It says it's less of a profitable enterprise, what a liar again, than trying to get involved in the marketplace. There have been a lot of questions asked by clients of the bank how the protocol or how working in a carbon-constrained world is going to affect their businesses. And in, in response to those questions, we decided to put together the consortium. The move has been welcomed by Professor Snow Barlow from the Search Centre for Greenhouse Accounting. (laughs) Have you even got greenhouse accounting? eh? These guys are a bunch of a bunch of uh, guys in in, uh, the horticulture business. Professor Barlow says the process of of trading carbon credits can earn money for farmers with tree lots, as well as having an obvious benefit for the environment. I see as another step along what is proving to be quite a long road towards actually giving a value to carbon. That's what it's all about. Even though it's all worked out mathematically, because they can't—it's all guesses. In other words, right? people that own land and who cultivate woody perennial vegetation are essentially farming carbon. So you understand—you're going, you're going to get put back to the Stone Age with these guys as they make billions off you, plunder you again. The same banking boys who own all the mines too, because Rothschilds owns the mines over there too, along with the Queen of England in Australia, and. Um, and, and, of course we'll sit in, in, poverty and go and vote again for the next bunch of, you know, yo-yos that come along. And this article here too, uh, these are the guys who actually brought all this stuff in, in Canada. As I say, the Canadian Institute of International Affairs, before it was called that, it was, it was really the Milner Group it was called. And then it formed the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Canadian Institute of International Affairs. Australian Institute for International Affairs, Affairs, New Zealand Institute for International Affairs, and a whole bunch of other ones, one in India and a few other ones as well. And the more they talked about, they often changed their names. so now they change it. And it says in 2007, the CIIA was reformed as a Canadian International Council now. It sounds, you know, better. Canadian International Council. And, um, the CIIA was founded in 1928 and closed in 2007, actually was transformed into the new names Canadian International Council and there's not much up there on them you have to sign in to get into their website and they want to put cookies on because they want to track everybody who's interested that means you've got a brain you see if someone tries to get into their website and then I'll read this other article too about value added tax as well back after this break Hi, folks. We're back, and this is cutting through the matrix. When they set up the Milner Group, they became the Royal Institute for International Affairs and all the British Commonwealth branches, which still exist today. In fact, all the prime ministers are members of it. They have to be, regardless of the party they come from, they're already members before they're elected. And you've only the leaders, that's all you need to do, and a, f- a few of the ones you appoint at the top as advisors, because they run the country, the advisors. Anyway... It, this, this value-added tax was a, a brainchild, of course, of the same group. They brought an in income tax for Britain as well. They were the same group in Britain that brought an in income tax and in all the Commonwealth countries, temporary war taxes, I think they called it. And uh, they also brought in um, uh, uh, property taxes. They're, they boast about that. But they also, a long time ago, tried to bring in a value-added tax. Was in this global system, they want to bring in through treaties and binding countries together into blocks and so on at the beginning of the 20th century. Uh, they wanted to bring in a, a collective tax called the value-added tax. Uh, in Canada, eventually they got it through under the GST. It's the same thing. It's, they just changed the name. And they call it general sales tax around value-added tax. But it is what they always wanted and in the U.S. is still to get theirs yet, and I don't know if they'll call it the same thing or not. And we know in Britain it's way up, I think, over 20% on everything you buy, and... It's, again, it's very much like the carbon tax, too, where uh, it comes from the draw resources from a material to make something. That's taxed at a certain percentage, uh, maybe 20%. Then it's brought on to the next stage of manufacture who will take over. And what will they make out of it, another 20% is taxed on a drop right up the line, uh, right up through the sales middlemen and right to the consumer. So it literally, is, it's, like, it's like a, a steamrolling uh, taxation system that just keeps multiplying and multiplying with every change of hands. It's inc- you wouldn't believe the money the government rakes in from all taxes, and they're always pretending they're so darn short. Anyway, this article here is from the Financial Post, Canada 1923. That's when Lord Gray uh, was working with Mandel House and other ones in the United States to set up what's called the Council on Foreign Relations in the US. And um, he came over from Britain, from London, from the, the, the Milner Group at the time to do it. This article says a turnover tax now suggested as the way out. 1923, it says, a discontent over the new sales taxes is growing but it may be good for a business. That is an argument advanced before meeting of Toronto manufacturers how it would work. A modification of the suggestions made for a more workable sales or turnover tax than that coming into effect January 1st is being considered by some of the Toronto's leading businessmen. It is for a tax to be applied to all manufactured goods with the amount of the cost of the raw materials deducted. It says, in other words, it would be a percentage of the increased value during the processing by a manufacturer. Uh, the chief recommendation adv- advance for such a tax is that it would prevent a pyramiding. As it is a pyramid scheme uh, in itself. Again, doublespeak has been used enough for a long time. But it's actually a value-added tax, and uh, now they've got it, of course, across the board, except for the U.S. pretty well, and that is still to come for the global society along with your carbon taxes and your energy taxes and all the other taxes that they are going to take off you by this strange thing called law that everybody obeys because we're all, we all, we're all obedient to authority, as Milgard said. Anyway, that, I'll put this article up for yourselves to watch, look over too for, for the value-added tax. And, you know, things are getting bad. You know things are getting bad when McDonald's is the main spokes company uh, to tell you how bad it is in the food industry uh, really it 's kind of like Walmart now they come out and tell you what 's happening in the economy and and how prices are going up and now you 've got mcdonald 's coming out. I, I think the guys above them are, t- are too scared to tell us anyway it says uh, McDonald warns of higher food inflation no kidding maybe they 'll get little rubber chickens and blow them up and they 'll sell you that and you know uh, and then it says here. Um, McDonald's restaurants landed a day after rival oh, Yum Brands, that's where they get their food from, Yum Brands, uh, reporting strong China results at mass rising food and labour costs. It says McDonald's and other restaurants operators are getting squeezed by accelerating food costs and must figure out how to raise prices without scaring away already skittish diners. I think they're awfully brave or stupid. I don't know which is to go there and get eaten. Anyway, it's very hard to pass through price increases right now, said Stifle Nicholas. Who's an analyst, uh, and analyst, Steve West McDonald's chief executive Jim Skinner said customers are getting pinched everywhere They should not suffer the same fate at McDonald's And it says the company would sacrifice some short-term margin to protect long-term growth he Heard that McDonald's has experience finding the right recipe for price increases in fragile economic times That's when they generally throw out any protein and stuff and, and put chemicals to substitute That's <laughs> what so I've seen in the past it says that McDonald's now expects food costs to rise between 4% and 4.5% in the US and Europe this year. That's going to up a lot more than that. Uh, that is up from its prior call for a rise of 2% to 2.5% in the US and an increase of 3.5% to 4.5% in Europe. McDonald's in March put through a 1% menu price rise in the US where it, pla- where it plans additional increases. Prices in Europe are up by the same amount and company plans to raise prices in China as well. So things are getting bad, as I say, when McDonald's actually admits that they've run out of chemicals and things to add and substitutes to add to what they call, you know, the food <laughs> that comes out of there. So it's getting pretty bad all over. But they're telling you no more than they'll tell you in the government anyway. They're telling us less than the government. Actually, they're telling us how wonderful it is. It's still wonderful to be alive in our own countries. Just great and wonderful. Like... um uh, others have said before the people will be happy because the government will tell them so. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. We're back. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. And this big Soviet system called the European Union, with its strange form of governance of secret people at the top, actually, and it's very, it's completely non-democratic, but it was set up again as the brainchild of the Royal Institute for International Affairs and the Council for Foreign Relations. And they have, in fact, every politician at the top now pretty well as uh, a member of it, and the high bureaucrats, too. And they call it the European Institute for International Affairs, just because it's European. But it's still run, of course, by the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And um, it's non-democratic. And that's exactly the way they set it up. They wanted that a long time ago, over 100 years ago, uh, when the Milner Group were talking about this very, very system for the whole of Europe and the unification of Europe. Uh, they didn't believe in democracy uh, they believed in using the term democracy for, just for the public to get involved in the wars and do all the fighting for them as they took over countries. But they believed that scientists and themselves, just like Rockefeller... So you see, the Royal Institute of International Affairs and the Milner Group were made up of, initially, of bankers, uh, international moneylenders, big, very wealthy bankers, lend, lending to nations. And uh, uh, Rockefeller said the same thing himself. He said... Um, it's far better that bankers and intelligentsia uh, run the world and direct the world than leaving it to the self-determination of individual nations. So they meant that. They've always meant that, and they all belong to the same club with the same agenda. So they've formed this big mammoth that's taxing everybody into utter poverty and that as they spread their wealth across the world, a la Marx, because, of course, the, before they were called the Milner Group, they were already funding the Marxism as a technique to take over countries. It's the fastest way to take over entire countries and form the bloc system. In fact, that's what the EU is based upon. But they're acting gods, at the top there. It's just astonishing what they're doing and how they're fining countries millions and billions of euros if they feel they comply or they can't comply with all the regulations they churn, the churn out from a machine, just, you know, turn the hand on these... these I think these by the thousands just pop out, these laws. But here's, here's an article, for instance, that shows you how they're involved in everything. And again, they're into the crisis creation and so on, because you must always give the public crisis all the time to keep them off balance and feeling frantic. It says smog alert in England and Wales, especially when you're robbing their pockets. It says the government has issued a smog alert in England and Wales for ozone and polluting particles known as PM10s. Uh, Probably Prime Minister them, Maybe it's a a a G10 for the Prime Ministers Which can affect people's health Well they certainly do affect their health Anyway, Department for Environment, Food and Rural Affairs Said high levels of pollution Are expected from 1500 BST On Thursday and over the Easter weekend It's now called Earth Day as well Uh, It said the alert Was due to to warm And still conditions brought on By a high pressure system No no one can see anything It's, it's, It's been pretty nice over there actually DEFRA is urging the public to take sensible precautions. But what's a sensible precaution? It said some people, including those who have asthma, particularly the elderly, could be affected by the high pollution levels and may notice an impact on their breathing. Maybe it's a radiation. Eh? Advise people to avoid taking exercise outside in the afternoon. You know, you've told everything to do now. If it's raining, this is what you wear. We can't do anything without being told by people who are brighter than ourselves, obviously. But anyway, it says they've got their free phone uh, helplines up and all the rest of it. And um, it, it, it gets down to here. You find the, the European Union actually allowed Britain, uh, because it's an Easter weekend, you see, uh, it's a long weekend. They allowed them to um, disregard the, the levels of their, their smog alert. Uh, so that they could, the, the, the people could get out their towns and their cars and so on for the drive. Otherwise, they'd been fined millions of euros. Isn't that nice of them? They actually, like God, just wave a wand in the sky and says, okay, we can up these levels, just take radiation, of course, and uh, and give you that little break for being hard little taxpayers who, who are paying for these million-euro salaries of these top um, unknown leaders of the EU. So it also says, too, in this article here uh, that uh, about 18 million people are expected to use their cars, but the, the Automobile Association predicted high fuel prices will mean people will make shorter journeys. See how they control you with the prices, too. Because remember, economic warfare is used on you all the time, uh, as well as many other techniques of warfare. But that was awfully nice, though, uh, awfully, awfully nice. It said here, actually, Uh, It comes as monitoring in London revealed that on one site that the Marylebone Road has exceeded EU rules. One road, right, on the Marylebone Road has exceeded the EU rules for the number of days in the year which high levels of PM10s are permitted. The UK will not face fines. Thank you, teacher, for the breach as the EU has given Britain an extension, which means it has until June before it has to start meeting the standards in the capital. And, of course, if they don't meet that, they'll be fined millions. Well, the public will pay millions more of uh, pounds to the the wonderful dictatorship they live under at the EU, that big cabal. It's just incredible. They put up with this status. It really is absolutely incredible. They put up with this stuff, getting plundered and plundered and plundered. But they do. That they, but they do. Also, of course, the US has to really get involved now with uh, Libya, because you see, once uh, a big nation commits itself to, uh, making peace by war, uh, then it has to prove it can fulfill it, even if it bankrupts what's left of the country. And, um, Otherwise, they say, well, the smaller nations might take that as we're becoming weak, you see, and they'll tell us to, you know, piss off. Armed U.S. drones to start Libya missions, it says. So, armed U.S. predator drones will start missions in Libya as rebels take control of a key post on the border with Tunisia. And it says, um, Barack Obama has given the go-ahead to use the unmanned aircraft, which have already seen action in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Iraq. Marine General James Cartwright, Vice Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, said the drones can help counteract Gaddafi's force tactics of, of travelling in civilian vehicles. Uh, uh, what they will bring, that is, that unique to the conflict is their ability to get down lower, therefore to be able to get better visibility on targets, uh, and that have started to dig themselves in a defensive position. Well, we saw what happens. We've seen what happens in, on the border of Pakistan in Afghanistan, and and we've we've seen all the villages have been bombed out of existence when they make all these mistakes, because they're using young children, basically, who've done nothing but play Xbox games, and and here they are, sitting somewhere in the U.S., uh, playing with a stick, watching cartoon figures that are real people blow up, but they seem to like it, you know. No responsibility to it, you see. Uh, Again, back to the Milgard experiment. Anyway... That's what they're doing. They can't back out now. And of course, war's a racket, as Butler said, General Butler. Uh, And it is a racket. It's awfully profitable. And everything that goes pop and boom has to be replaced immediately by your tax money. And the the businesses that sell it to them are always lobbying the government. It's awfully, awfully profitable business to be in warfare. And it's just astonishing that all the stuff it really is coming out too. Uh, to do with, for instance, I, I was talking about uh, VL, uh, H, VLF uh, frequencies and ELF frequencies and how they've been using that and, and experimenting on the publics for an awful long time. Now they're using it pretty well consistently, 24 hours a day across America and Canada, probably other countries too. And I've, I know that to put up Stanford's chart. They've got a whole array of them across the world with a map on it where you can see all the different locations of these heart projects that you know pulse our brains because docile and fairly happy. Because it's very important, and we find big authors who help plan this stage of society um, and who are involved in it too, like the Huxley's, for instance, and Huxley's both uh, were involved in the Tavistock Institute where they stuck wires in people's brains. And long before uh, Delgado came along, and they were making people turn left and right and sit down, stand up and do all these kind of things by remote control. They thought it was just wonderful, creating a society like that, be awfully, awfully peaceful, as long as no one blew a fuse. But anyway, uh, it's far more advanced than that today. They can do things remotely. There's no doubt whatsoever about it. They are using HARP. And if you go into the, the weather warfare treaties to do with HARP, you'll find that, um, they admit that they can put a secondary signal on the HARP as a carrier. And they can certainly manipulate the brains. And Brzezinski did put that in his own book, Between Two Ages, written in the 1970s, that they would use it on the whole continents. They are using it. It's very important. See, it's irresistible for governments not to use uh, any technique whatsoever for control. Uh, and that includes uh, harp-type technologies. It includes drugs and pharma. The history of fluoride is very, very old. In fact, going way back to the the late 1800s. They knew what it did to the human brain, made them very passive. And um, we know that governments started to add it in. Uh, The communists were the first ones. In in fact, when communism took over Poland, that was one of the first things it did was put fluoride in the water uh, to make them passive. And uh, Germany did the same Uh, to some of the countries it took over. And where we're at that too, of course, we find your own governments are doing it across the world because it's a must-be. But that's only one chemical they add to it. They've even been talking about using lithium, too, under the pretext that they've, they've noticed that some Japanese people at one, point, one little island where, where the drinking water was high in lithium, uh, made them awfully compliant, pleasant people, very obedient. And to that, and for government's control, that's, that's irresistible. They're going to use stuff, if not already, we know they already have put stuff in the water for a long, long time. The guys that dump it in don't even know what they're dumping in. They just do what they're told. And they get a good fat paycheck. And people get fat paychecks, believe you me, can rationalize anything they do. It doesn't matter if it's a cop, an execution squad, or anything else. They'll always rationalize what they do. This article came out of India, uh, the Hindu. And it says, scientists target drugs that improve behavior. And it says, um, appeal to enhance moral behavior. Doesn't see. how even the terminology—not—not. Not, remember, these are written by you know neuroethicists, as they call it, uh, which means that they lie to you. Uh, they, they, they want you to modify your behavior, so they say enhance. No, it's to modify moral behavior. After all, what is morality? Who decides what morality is? Huh? Who decides that? Well, government decides it for you, by the way. A treatment for ra- and, and a treatment for racist thoughts. A therapy to increase your empathy for people in other countries. That's why you feel better paying taxes, by the way. You're not kidding about that. These may sound like the stuff of science fiction, but with medicine getting closer to altering your moral state, uh, and by God, we're, we're at the end of any morality at all. It's all, as you say, relative, but I wonder who it's related to. More like uh, old Nick. Society should be preparing for the consequences, according to a book that reviews scientific developments in the field. Drugs such as Prozac that alter patients' mental state have already had an impact on moral behaviour. It's caused a lot of murders and suicides. But scientists predict that future medical advances may allow much more sophisticated manipulations. It says the field is in its infancy, but it's very far from being science fiction, said Dr. Guy Cahan, Cahan, Deputy Director of the Oxford Centre for Neuroethics and a Wellcome Trust. Biomedical Ethics Award winner. That means he's done a lot of work for Big Pharma. Science has ignored the question of moral improvement so far, but no, it's not. That's a big lie, too. But it's now becoming a bit, a big debate, he said, because of H.G. Wells talked about in the 1920s. There's already a growing body of research you can describe in these terms. Studies show that certain drugs affect the ways people respond to moral dilemmas. By increasing their sense of empathy uh, Group affiliation And by reducing aggression I guess he's talking about ecstasy drugs So that's that's what that does Researchers have become very interested in developing Biomedical technologies capable of intervening In the biological processes That affect moral behavior and moral thinking Now you should really get to know What they mean by moral thinking and moral behavior They mean doing what you're told Being obedient to every dictate That comes down from above So it says here, drugs that affect the moral thinking behavior already exist, but we tend not to think of them in that way. And he goes on to talk about Prozac again. And then he says, um, it could make people more agreeable. Well, is it right to make someone agreeable when that person's going to do you in? I don't think so. He says, or, uh, oxytocin, the so-called love hormone, Increases feelings of social bonding and empathy while reducing anxiety, he said. will also make you feel like you're going to give birth to a baby. But anyway, scientists will de- develop more of these drugs and create new ways of taking drugs we already know about. We can already, for example, take prescribed doses of oxytocin as a nasal spray, he said. But would pharmacologically introduced altruism, for example, uh, amount to genuine moral behavior? Guy Cahane, uh, Deputy Director of the Oxford Centre for Neuroethics, and we'll contrast by the award where blah, blah said. We can change people's emotional responses, but quite whether that improves their moral behavior is not something science can answer. He also admitted that it was unlikely people would rush to take a pill that would make them morally better. And they know all this stuff too, and they've already had big meetings about putting your water in your food and everything else. Even spraying it on you, by the way. Becoming more trusting. Do you want to be more trusting when you've got a bunch of people who rip you off, like bankers at the top? Plunder you? Millions get homeless because of it, and, and you all get screwed for more taxes. Do you want to be more trusting, folks? Nicer, less aggressive and less violent can make you more vulnerable to exploitation, he said. No kidding. On the other hand, it could improve your relationships or help your career. So you'd be utterly poor on the street, but you have a good love life, Right. Cahane does not advocate putting morality drugs in the war supply, no, he won't, you know, not openly, but suggests that if administered widely, they might help humanity to tackle global issues. Relating to the plight of people on the other side of the world or of future generations is not in our nature, he said. This new body of drugs could make possible feelings of global affiliation and of abstract empathy for future generations. And it says, Rod Ter Mullen, Chair in Ethics and Medicine and Director of the Center for Ethics and Medicine at the University of Bristol, warned that while some drugs can improve moral behavior, other drugs, and sometimes the same ones, can have the opposite effect. Well, as I say, there's been umpteen murders with folk on Prozac. This go crazy, and they don't know they're doing it. And it's very sudden. Listen to the use of deep brain stimulation helped to, to, uh, to help those with Parkinson's disease has, has, has had unintended consequences, leading, leading to cases where patients begin stealing from shops and even become sexually aggressive, he added. Uh, basic moral behavior is to be helpful to others, feel responsible to others, have a sense of solidarity and sense of justice. I'm not sure that drugs can ever achieve this, but there's no question they can make us more likable, more social, less aggressive, more open attitudes to other people. He said, well, maybe she we should give it to all the politicians and all these people. So when we come and say, would you mind stop taxing us and, and cut out these taxes? They'll say, well, that's a good idea. We'll do that. And think, yeah, thanks for asking. We'll do that. No problem at all. Hmm? Also, given the test for psychopathy as well, none of them would pass it, mind you. And Mullen also suggested that moral enhancement drugs might be used in the criminal justice system. That's what they call the criminal justice system, you know. It's criminal what they do. These drugs will be more effective in prevention and cure than prison, he said. So I love how scientists have total faith in everything. It's just like. Um, A documentary I watched on the 50s and 60s to do with atomic energy and all, and they showed you some of the ads that were getting put on television. Oh, it's going to be a wonderful utopia, cheap, cheap, cheap energy everywhere. Eventually there'd be robots doing everything and, and science would make your life so much easier. You don't have to work one or two days out of the week. And, um, and on and on on it went, you know, with all these experts conning us once again. After all, it's our tax money that builds our sciences for them. We build our own chains. Back after this. Hi, folks. We're back, cutting through the Matrix. And it's interesting, too, I've mentioned before how if you read the writings of Lenin uh, and Marx and other ones, uh, Lenin especially, he said that the dictatorship, it's not off the proletariat is over, the proletariat obviously uh, wouldn't only, but would last for about a generation or so it says, and then he said eventually it would merge with the West and be not quite capitalist not quite communist and of course he meant socialist with the banks on top of course they all knew that, they all knew what they were doing but um, it's interesting now that Fidel Castro is doing the same kind of thing, he's starting to ease up on, on buying and having private ownership and so on and property uh, because it's time now, you see, he has been long enough, and it's time now that they merge in with this socialized uh, system that the rest of the world's already been forced under, with the fascists at the top, and a communist bureaucracy, massive bureaucracy, running the lives of the public. That's how it was designed, that's what came out of the Rees Commission as well. So that's what we have today. So in the Miami Herald, they talk about him um, attending the Party Congress in Cuba, and um, he's a very old guy. 79-year-old now, I think, is it? Or He's not far from it, at least now. He's maybe even older. 80-year-old, I think. Oh, it's 84. 84 years old, Fidel Castro. Lifelong smoker of uh, Cuban cigars. And they'll probably start importing them back into the U.S. again, uh, right at the time when very few folks smoke anymore because of the laws. But anyway, it says here uh, that he, he was at the gathering and all the rest of it. They've, elected, they've appointed the, the new ones to take over. And um, obviously Cuba Is going to go the same way as China More liberalistic as they call it When it happened in China it was the same thing It was a sudden thing done in a week in China From, from total communism to the sudden Oh it's okay commerce is good Profit good uh, Remember they, bought, they showed us on the Communist Broadcasting Corporation in Canada And um, the CBC And this wonderful display Of people just suddenly Suddenly all for capitalism And it was good. Well, it's happening now in Cuba, and they can now buy homes there for the first time, supposedly. Uh, before, you could only pass homes down after the revolution to your family members or wangle your way around it through bribes to get done other, other, other ways, sell to other people. Uh, but now you can actually buy your own home, although you can't accumulate too much property, which, see, things like too much is very vague for, for, for lawyers. They can run rings around that. So it's time now, obviously It's done whatever they were meant to do In, in Cuba uh, Apart from help get a lot of drugs coming into the US and stuff And by, for the CIA And everybody else But uh, it's time now to merge everything together And start being more palsy-walsy And uh, it's so amazing We're off blasting across the world uh, Using the most sophisticated Most expensive technology That has to be replaced every few months With Mark 2, 4, and hundred and fifty, Mark 2,000 as they keep advancing in science, and we all pay for it all. And meanwhile, there's a little place next door to you they've left alone all these years, eh? It's such a joke, isn't it? Such a joke. But there you go, that's that's uh, that's Cuba, uh, jointly, uh, obviously going to liberalise a lot of its rules, and regulations and laws, and uh, the big boys will be in there like a shot uh, once they can start buying up stuff, and have their front men in there too to do it for, for them as well. And that's how communism was intended to work. It's to create a system for a, a period of time, a generation, and as I say, then it's to merge with the West. So they're going, they're going to the format as planned. Everything is planned in your life. Your future is planned and your children's children are planned. They'll still be tax slaves even worse because they've all been put down as collateral to pay off the debt or guarantors to pay off it. Many generations to come. And that's why the big boys at the top are smiling away and we're going into it. Austerity. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God, or your gods go with you.